right. Well, grab your Bibles, get them out. Uh, we've been in a series called Jesus Encounter. Jesus Encounter. When in doubt, preach about Jesus. Not that I was in doubt before, but um, what do we want to do? We want to encounter the person, the power, the anointing um, of the Lord Jesus. That's what this whole, whole series has been about. I'll do a quick review. Today is part 10. Uh, part one was Jesus, our Messiah. We talked about the fact that Jesus fulfilled the role of a prophet, priest, and king. Everything the Old Testament declared the, the Messiah would uh, be and do, Jesus did. Um, part two is Jesus, our God. He isn't just divine. He is divinity. He didn't just come from God. He is God. Uh, part three, Jesus the man. We talked about how Jesus came in the flesh. This was so important to us because he represents us to God and he represents God to us. And Jesus, when he walked this earth, how many know Jesus had a, before he was in ministry, he had a vocation. He was a carpenter, as, as the Bible says. So how many know Jesus didn't just, I think he was built. I think he had calluses on his hand. I think he was a man's man. So Jesus lived life as a man. He completely identifies with the human experience. Part four is Jesus, our Lord. We talked about how um, you might know him as Savior, but do you know him as Lord? And it's so important to be submitted to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. Uh, Pastor Emily, my wife, did a message called Jesus, our peace. Part six, Jesus, our heavenly bridegroom. He's coming back to take us to be with him. Part seven, Jesus, our friend. Part eight, Pastor Bill did a message two weeks ago, uh, two weeks ago called Jesus, our deliverer. And today's part nine, or I'm sorry, and last week, Pastor uh, Matt did a message called Jesus, Our Provision. Today is part 10. We're talking about Jesus, our Savior. Jesus, our Savior. How many know that salvation has a name? Salvation is a person, and that person is Jesus. It's not just something God does. It's who he is. He is salvation. Um, as Jake was saying here a minute ago, in the Bible, uh, names have great significance. It kind of cracks me up sometimes. You see parents and they name their kids different things, and you have you know celebrities name their kids things, and they're just like, "What are you thinking? Like, I don't know where you're getting this from. What is this? Does this mean something?" It's just like, I don't know. Didn't one celebrity name their kid like Apple or something like that? Like Apple. Okay, fair enough. Um, but in the Bible. Names have deep meaning, great significance. And, if, and when you have kids, I want to encourage you, um, pray into whatever their, their prophetic destiny. Because a name represents someone's identity. It, it declares their authority. And it talks about their character. And next week, we're going to have baby dedications up here. We dedicate um, our, you know, the babies to the Lord. And one of the things we like to do is unpack their names and, and show a little bit of the significance of, of what their names mean, because your name shouldn't just be your identity. It's, it's a prophetic declaration of what you're supposed to do in this world. And so no pressure, parents, but that's a lot to pray about when your kids are coming to the world. And it's okay if you miss it a little bit. But names uh, declare prophetic destiny. And in the Bible, this was super important. Um, side note on names, um, I have a little bit of baggage when it comes to middle names. And uh, here's why. Um, I don't like middle names. I think people shouldn't have middle names. I think they're a waste, okay? And I have a little bit of baggage, and I want to explain why I have baggage with middle names. My older brother and I, we have the same middle name, Alan, spelled differently. I bet you're interested in how that happened, right? 
Okay. My older brother, his, name, his middle name is Alan, A-L-A-N. Okay, why did, they, why did they give him the middle name Alan? Well, my parents, uh, my, my uh, great-grandma uh, and grandpa, their last name um, is Alan. And so in an effort to honor my great-grandparents, my parents gave my older brother the, the middle name Alan. Um, but the only problem was they spelt it wrong. A-L-A-N is not how they spell it. They spell it A-L-L-E-N. So um, they're like, oh, we've got to make this right. Well, we can't make it right with our first kid. So they have their second son, me, and they're like, we're going to make this right. We're going to give him the middle name Alan as well, and we're going to spell it right this time. So basically, my middle name is like a do-over. <laughs> number four, number two, whatever. Alan, A-L-E-N, whatever. It's, a, it's like a redo. And so I've never felt like my middle name had a lot of significance. I did look it up last uh, a couple days ago, though, because I was talking about this. And Alan does mean handsome. Okay, okay, I get it. Sure. Cheerful, stone. My wife would say, yes, you're stone. Uh, a rock and noble. So that's not so bad. I'll take it. I'll take it. But I have a little bit of baggage when it comes to middle names. Um, but in the Bible, many times um, the Lord would, would tell someone, name, name a kid this. Um, and then oftentimes in the Bible, the Lord would change someone's name. And that's because um, the original identity that God had for someone was not conveyed in the name that their earthly parents gave to them. And so, and so somewhere along the way, they would have some um, spiritual awakening. And God would say, no longer will you be called this, but you're going to be called this from now on. So they underwent some type of uh, transformation. Uh, for example, um, Abram became Abraham, Right. Um, Abram means exalted father. Now, that's an interesting one because Abraham didn't have any children until he was, uh, what, 99 years old, 100 years old. Uh, it went from Abram, exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of many nations. That was the, that was the prophetic destiny of Abraham, to be the father of many nations. Uh, uh, Sarah went from Sarai to Sarah. Jacob, which means you know heel grabber, supplanter, circumventer, um, Jacob, God changed his name to Israel, which means God will prevail, right? There's a, there's a good picture here. Here he is, this Jacob's like, I'm going to look out for myself. I'm, gonna, I'm, gonna, I'm a trickster. I'm a circumventer. I'm a supplanter. And God says, no, no longer are you going to be called that. I'm going to change your name to God will prevail. In other words, my will is going to prevail in your life, and I'm going to be glorified through you. Simon, son of Jonah, Jesus changed his name to Peter, which means the rock. Simon, no longer will you be called Simon, son of Jonah, but you are Peter. Uh, the apostle Paul, um, before he was called Paul, he identified as Saul. Now, Saul, God didn't necessarily chain, uh, tell Peter to change his name. Uh, I'm sorry, Paul. Um, but Paul decided to lay down his Hebrew name because he was an apostle to the Gentiles. And, and um, Paul is the um, Greek translation of his Hebrew name, Saul. So he cha his identity changed a little bit. Well, here's the deal with Jesus. What about Jesus? Did God ever, ever, ever have to change Jesus' name? Well, the answer is no. God didn't have to change Jesus' name because Jesus' parents got it right from, from the get-go. And here's why. Because God told Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, God told Joseph what to name him. Okay, so his, never, his name never had to be changed. And here, here it is. The story is here in Matthew chapter 1. Verses 18 through 21, it says this. 
This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found uh, to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. This story always gets me. I don't know. God, I don't know why, but sometimes God just allows ambiguous, really difficult things to like hang there for a little bit. But I don't know why God didn't tell Joseph like before she was pregnant that hey, your wife's gonna be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. But like no, he, they let he lets them feel that scandal and that that wait for a little bit. Anyway, verse nineteen, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had it in mind to divorce her quietly. Back in those days, a betrothal and engagement was legally binding. So in order to break off an engagement, you would have to go through a legal divorce, although they had not consummated yet. They hadn't come together yet. Verse 20, after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He will save his people from their sins. You'll give him the name Jesus. Um, how many know the New Testament, our, our Bible, was written in Greek? Okay. The name Jesus is the way we say in English, um, the Greek translation. Okay. Um, so the, 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 Greek, the Greek word uh, Jesus is Iseus. Everyone say Iseus. Yes. You're all Greek scholars now. Isn't that great? Okay, Iseus. This is, um, Jesus is the transliteration of the Hebrew term Yeshua, which is contracted to Joshua. Okay, so, so literally, um, Joseph and Mary and people around Jesus would call him Yeshua. That was, that was his name uh, in Hebrew. And, and Yeshua, or Joshua, it means Yahweh saves, or Yahweh is salvation. So Jesus' name literally means God saves. That's literally what it means. Um, how many are glad that the angel of the Lord told Joseph to give his adopted son the name God saves? I don't know about you, but I'm happy about that. I'm happy to be um, uh, brought into the kingdom of light and that he wanted to save me. He wanted to provide a way of salvation for us. That is his identity, his authority, and it displays the nature and character of God, that he wasn't content to leave us in the state of being lost and separated from him. What did he do? He provided a way of salvation. God saves. That's good news for us. Um, Joshua, now, okay, so Yeshua, Joshua, this is the name Jesus was given. Joshua, in the Old Testament, you guys know this story, um, Joshua was Moses' assistant. And what did Joshua do? He led the children of Israel into the promised land. We were just there a few days ago, where right at the, the, the Jordan River, where it, where it feeds into um, the Dead Sea. That's where the children of Israel crossed. And then they, one of, what was the first town that they saw there was Jericho. Uh, we were just there a, f- uh, a few days ago. Um, but Joshua led the children of Israel into a physical promised land and into spiritual blessings. How many know that Jesus, he leads us into a spiritual promised land? And eternal life begins the moment you place your faith and trust in Christ. Listen, eternal life, thank God for the great by and by. Thank God for heaven. 
the great consolation, and we'll be, get to be with him forever. But if you're waiting to experience eternal life until you die, I just want to tell you, you can experience eternal life today. Why? Because eternal life is in knowing the person of Jesus Christ, in your relationship with him. That is eternal life. And, and yes, our location changes, and we go to a place where sin, death, and, death, and sickness no longer exist, but the relationship um, has continuity. It, it begins here, and it continues on in eternity. Jesus said this in John chapter 17, verse 3. He said this, Now this is eternal life, so Jesus is praying, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life, knowing Jesus. Eternal life isn't just the great by and by when we get there. Eternal life is now. Listen, if you're not enjoying this thing, if you're not enjoying your relationship with the Lord and walking with him, yes, I know life has challenges. Yes, I know there are heartaches, heartbreaks. We all have stuff. But thank God we get to walk with salvation. We get to walk with Yahweh saves, God saves. We get to walk with Jesus. And our promised land is walking with him daily. So salvation isn't just what he does. It's who he is. He is salvation. Saved from what? What are we saved from? He he saved his people from their sins. We're saved from the penalty of sin. That is our past. We will be saved from the very presence of sin in the future. In heaven, there is no presence of sin. And in the present, we are saved from the present power of sin. Salvation is working in us to save us from the present power of sin. That is the work of sanctification, right? So we were saved, we're being saved, and we will be saved. Amen? So let God work in you. Let that work of sanctification happen in your heart so that you will be saved in the present from the present power of salvation. And you can experience eternal life day in and day out. It says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. See, eternal life is in Christ Jesus. But the wages of sin is death. Um, Death could be defined as just separation from God. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they sinned. Um, They felt that they had that unbroken communion fellowship with God. And when that that, uh, severing of spiritual life happened, what did they do? They they, They were covered before they felt uncovered. So what did they do? They tried to cover themselves. And then God comes into the garden... And he's looking for Adam, and he says, Adam, where are you? Adam, where are you? He's looking for, you know, he's looking for him. And I don't think God asks questions because he's looking for information, or God couldn't geographically find them, right? I think God was saying it like this, Adam, where are you? What happened to our connection? We were connected. Something happened. I'm, where are you, Adam? Where's your heart? Okay, this is what Jesus came to restore. He came to restore that brokenness that that happened between mankind and God. He came to restore that connection with the Father. Isn't that good news? Jesus is the Savior of, of the world, and apart from him, there is no other Savior. And I don't care how successful you might be by the world's standards, or maybe you see someone and it's like, by every account, it's like, man, they're, they're successful. They're doing so good. Listen, if, if, if that person doesn't have a relationship with the Lord Jesus, they're dead. They're, they're, they're separated. They're cut off from God. And I just think many people go through this life numbing symptoms of that loss of connection that happened in the, in the garden. We're just trying to 
you know, grab the next closest thing to fill my heart to make myself feel complete. But listen, completeness never comes except through a relationship with the Lord Jesus. Amen. Jesus is the light of the world. Um, I love, I love this scripture. I was reading this this morning, Luke chapter. Um, uh, let's see, Luke chapter two. There was a man named uh, Simeon, and the Lord told him he would see the Lord's Messiah. And so they bring, uh, this is when Jesus was a baby. They brought Jesus as a baby to the temple to be dedicated. And it says, Simeon took Jesus in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. So God promised them, you're, you're not going to die before you see the Messiah. He says, now I can go in peace. He says this, imagine this, he grabs this baby. And he says, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. He, he's holding this baby, and I can imagine him saying, you know, the Holy Spirit's around him, that's the baby. Go to those parents, and he's, you know, prophesies over, over them and over the baby. And I could have just imagined Simeon saying, like, and what is his name? And they go, Joshua, Yeshua. And I, I could imagine Simeon saying, well, of course. Of course it's God saves. Of course it's God saves. The Lord told me I would, I would see his salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations. Come on, Andersons, taking this message to all nations, taking the gospel to all nations. I love this. This encourages me so much, especially having just come back from Israel. Verse 32, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Thank God salvation includes more than just the Jews. It's for us Gentiles as well, amen? A light of revelation for the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. It's good news right there. That's what he came for. John, First uh, John, four thirteen and fifteen. It says this: This is how we know that we live in Him and He in us. He has given us His Spirit, and we have seen and testified that the Father has sent His Son to be the Savior of the world. Jesus is the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them, and they in God. He's in us, and we're in Him if we acknowledge that he's the son of God and and put our faith and trust in Jesus. Every person who has put their faith and trust in Jesus had to come to the place where they realized their total depravity and his total sufficiency. A lot of people, when you talk to them about the Lord, religion, whatever, a lot of people's like, well, I'm a, you know, I'm a good person. I'm a good person. Okay. Without him, you're lost until you called upon him. Romans 1.23, it says this, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's every single one of us. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. See, God's standards, God's standards are not good, better, best. That's not his standards. God's standards are perfection. Okay, that is his standards. And here's an illustration I like to use, and many of you have heard me use this illustration before, but... Suppose we were going to have a competition, and here's the competition. The competition is this. We're going to see who can jump over the Grand Canyon, all right? Now, um, and we'll call making it over the Grand Canyon, we'll call that the standard of perfection. How many know that some would make it further than others, right? Some of these young guys here, they would jump further than all of us, right? Some of you would jump a foot, some three feet, some five feet, maybe some of you ten feet, some would make it further than others, right? If, if we lined everyone up here this morning um, between 
the most holy and the least holy. Like, we could probably f- eventually figure that out. Like, who's lived the most holy life? Who's lived the least holy life? And we could, we could probably, well, you know, hopefully I would be somewhere north of, you know, average. I don't know. But who knows? I'm sure I wouldn't be the best, for sure. No, no way. Um, but some would make it further than others. But let me, let me ask you this. If, we're, if the competition is jumping over the Grand Canyon, some would make it further than others. In fact, if we look at the, the word, uh, world record holder in the long jump, um, in Tokyo in 1991, there was a, uh, an amazing duel between two long jumpers, um, Carl Lewis and Michael Powell. And you should go on YouTube and watch this because it's amazing to watch them going back and forth. But Carl Lewis was uh, like undefeated for about 10 years. Michael Powell was not beating him at all. And Michael Powell, 1991, in Tokyo in the Olympics, he jumped 29 feet, 4 and 1 quarter inches. And he broke the world record, which had been the world record for about 27 years, something like that. And that world record has stood for... 31 years. No one, has, no one has come close to it. That's pretty amazing, right? Can you imagine jumping 29 feet, four and one quarter inches? And he beat the record by like five centimeters. But if you look at the Grand Canyon, at its narrowest point, the Grand Canyon is 600 feet wide at its narrowest point. In most places, it's miles wide. So even Michael Powell, the best ever, he did the best, he did better than anyone, right? Even Michael Powell would have fallen short by 500, over 570 feet. And since we're talking about life and death, to be exact, he would have fallen short by 570 feet, seven and three quarter inches. Because <laughs> you have to be exact here, right? What's my point? My point is this. This is exactly what it's like when we try to approach a perfect holy God through our self-efforts. Some of us, most certainly, many of us are better than others, right? We can all admit that. But at the end of the day, none of us come even close to meeting God's standard of perfection. This is why we need a Savior. Amen? Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, Corey Ten Boom, think of the holiest person you know. They fall short. They fell short. None of us were, a- were capable of self-rescue. You, ever, you guys ever watch... Um, Who's the Bear Grylls? What is the show called? The survival show? Running with Bear. Whatever it is. Okay, so he's a... What's that? Okay, it's called Bear Grylls. He's a survival guy. He was part of like the British Special Forces. And one thing he talks about, he's like, if you're stranded in the woods, he's like, if you, your best chance at self-rescue, and he goes through like, your best chances for self-rescue. And here's the thing. When it comes, when it comes to our lives... We are incapable of self-rescue. You cannot rescue from this, this problem of sin and separation between us and God. Um, I have, uh, my wife and I hike a lot. One of the investments we made in the last few years is we got, a, we got a Garmin spot tracker. And it gives us some assurance that when we're way off of the grid, we can, uh, we can be found. Why? Because there's a, if we get in trouble and you get to a place where I, I cannot self-rescue or I'm completely lost, there's an SOS button on there. And your exact coordinates, GPS coordinates, will be sent to search and rescue, and they'll come get you. That's pretty great. And my wife and I, you know, if she's hiking by herself, I'm like, take the Garmin. Make sure you turn it on so I can track you, too, you know, and vice versa. But if we ever get in a place where we can't self-rescue, we can hit that button, and we can have self-rescue. Listen, this is what it's like with the Lord Jesus. 
when we come to that place and we realize our total depravity and his total sufficiency, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We got that button we can hit and he will come rescue us. Amen? Amen. It's grace that brings us to the realization that we need to be saved. It's grace that actually brings us to the place where we realize we need a Savior, and it's grace that, that um, works in our hearts to call upon Jesus. I love the way the song Amazing Grace sounds. It's one of the, the most famous hymns in the history of the world. It's grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. It is a work of grace when God convicts the human heart, and you, you actually sense, like, I'm, I'm hell-bound. I, I'm, I'm headed for an eternity separated from God. Yet at the same time, if I call on the name of Jesus, he will come and he will rescue me and he will make me a brand new creature in Christ Jesus. Okay, that is the work of grace. And he'll let us feel that for a moment. He'll let us feel that condemnation, conviction, separation from him just long enough to reveal the answer to us, which is place your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus. It's grace that taught our hearts to fear, grace our fears relieved. This is the gospel. This is the gospel we preach here at City Lights. This is the gospel the Andersons are preaching in Brazil. This is the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And listen, the gospel is not good advice. The gospel is good news. That's what the gospel means. It's good news. Sure, the Bible, this book is a lot of, in fact, and a lot of times at church, I think because we've heard this message so much, I hear a dog barking. Gloria. He's agreeing. Yeah, that was a witness right there. Sometimes in church, I think we get so used to messages that we're like just looking for good advice. And listen, this book is full of good advice. You want to know how to live? There's instructions right here. Lots of good advice. But ultimately, our message of hope is not good advice. Our message of hope to the world is good news. Amen? The Father knew that we were lost and hopelessly separated from him. This is why he sent Jesus into this world, to give us the gospel, the best news you'll ever hear. Jesus lived the life that you couldn't live, the perfect life. There was one person who made that jump, amen? One human that made that jump and lived the perfect life. And then Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die, the death on the cross. And when we place our faith and trust in Christ, he gives us the gift we can never earn, the gift we can never deserve, it is the gift of salvation, the gift of a restored relationship with God. Undoubtedly, the greatest expression of love in the history of the world was when the Father sent his only begotten Son to this earth, lived the perfect life, and died on the cross for us. A few weeks ago, last week, I don't know, it was one of our last days we were in Israel, we um, went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And of course, this is the the night before Jesus was um, tried and, 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 and crucified, he's in the Garden of Gethsemane, which um, Gethsemane means oil press. So there's these olive trees there. And um, to extract oil out of those olives, they put them in a press and they press the oil out of them. And this is a picture for us of what Jesus went through that night, that grueling agonizing night says that he, he sweat, as it were, drops of blood. He was under so much distress and so much anguish because he knew what was about to happen the next day. He knew the torture. He knew the agony that he was about to go through. And it was as if he was being pressed 
And we were in that place a few days ago. We were able to just remember, like, Jesus, it was here. Like, we were, you know, that's what's cool about Israel. It's like, it was right here. You know, maybe right there. I don't know. Some places, you know, like, it happened definitively in some spot. Other times, you're like, it was somewhere around here. But we were in this garden. It's like, it's here that he went the night before the cross. He was here. He was praying. His disciples were falling asleep. And he was beginning to feel the weight of God's wrath. The weight of, the Bible says that he became sin for us. He became sin for us on the cross. So he began to feel the anguish and the weight of God's wrath because God placed the punishment that we all deserved on Jesus so that you and I could go free. It says in John 15, uh, verses 12 and 13, Jesus said this, this is my command, love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus was talking about what he himself would do. Greater love has no one than the man that lays down his life for his friends. Um, the greatest expression of love in the history of the world, and no expression of love will be greater than that. Uh, one thing that comes pretty close, I think, we, this, this, this weekend is a Veterans Day weekend, which honors living vets. Uh, Memorial Day weekend is the weekend that we honor the fallen, those who have paid the ultimate price for our freedoms. Um, both days are, are very important. But I want to take a minute, and I have a video I want to show you, giving a powerful illustration of someone's willingness to lay down their life for others, for their country. So go ahead and roll that video. It was a normal... Tuesday morning. Lieutenant General Mark Sassville and Heather Penny flew F-16s for the Air National Guard. On September 11, 2001, they watched two planes hit the World Trade Center. We knew immediately, as soon as we saw the images, that we needed to protect and defend. Protect and defend the nation's capital, as commercial airliners had become weapons of war. What did you understand about the rules of engagement, Heather? We understood what the threat was. We were looking for a rogue airliner flying low that was not communicating with air traffic control. The pilots had no time to spare. The country was under attack. They knew of at least one plane still in the sky, flying low. It was United Flight 93. You got United 93? They didn't even have time to load missiles. So you two were flying F-16s that weren't armed with missiles. So how were you going to take down Flight 93? We were going to have to hit the airplane and, and disable it somehow. A kamikaze mission. Our only choice was going to be to ram the airliner. Sir, I remember you would take the cockpit to aim at the terrorists. And I would take the tail. That's not something you survive. No. As the military, we don't send our service members on suicide missions. But it was clear what needed to be done that morning. It was not an order through the chain of command. It was your call to ram the plane. We didn't have any other choice. And we weren't going to be caught on the ground watching America get hit again. What they didn't know was that the passengers and crew of Flight 93 fought back and drove the plane into a field in Shanksville. 20 years later, how often do you think about that day, 9-11? I think about it every day. 
those on Flight 93 that paid the ultimate price, those are the real heroes. Sass and I owe our lives to them. That's also why when I think of 9-11, instead of being overcome by the trauma and the horror and the tragedy, I'm actually overcome by hope that the best of who we are was demonstrated on that day. So in some ways, living my life as normally as possible is the biggest way that we can say that the terrorists did not win. That story before. Yeah, is that new to you? Isn't that amazing? Um, I found that a couple months ago. Um, what, there's other interviews that are much longer uh, with uh, Heather Penny talking about that, that day. And she said in other interviews, the, the period of time that they went up, they didn't have time to load missiles. The period of time that they were flying around to intercept, where they were like, this is a kamikaze mission, was about 45 minutes. And f after about 45 minutes, they got the other, other jets in the air that had loaded missiles on them, and they were able to like relax a little bit. But for, for those 45 minutes, they are completely committed to if, we have to, if we have to sacrifice ourselves to save lives, we will. Amazing sacrifice that they are willing to give, that others have given for this nation. But undoubtedly, the greatest sacrifice of all was when Father God saw us and our separation from us, wasn't content to leave us in that situation, but sent his only son to this earth to be condemned, to be humiliated, to be tortured, and to be crucified for you and for me. I don't know about you, but I'm thankful for that. In the Old Testament, there's the Joshua that we just talked about a few minutes ago. Um, Moses' assistant, and he led them into the promised land. There's one other Joshua in the Old Testament. Um, I believe it's in the book of Zechariah. And this Joshua is the high priest during that time. He's the only other Joshua in the Old Testament. And this Joshua um, was, is, is during the exile of Israel. Israel was exiled from um, the promised land to Babylon. And that was because of their disobedience. The children of Israel were disobedient to God, so they were exiled to Babylon and Joshua, the high priest, was tasked with helping the children of Israel go back to the promised land after God had sent them out of it. What's my point? The two Joshuas of the Old Testament, one of them brought the children of Israel into the promised land for the first time. The other one helped bring them back after a period of disobedience, those who were returning to the promised land. This morning, I want to speak to really two groups of people that are here. Uh, number one, if you've never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, I want to pray for you this morning. And I believe God wants to do a work in your life. Number two, if you're, you're here and you have trusted Christ before, but for whatever reason, you've gone astray, you know it in your heart, and you need to renew and rededicate yourself to him. God has grace and, and Joshua, Yeshua, wants to bring you back into the promised land this morning. And I don't want you to leave this place knowing, uh, not knowing that you're right with God in your heart. So if you guys would, would you stand to your feet this morning? And I'm just going to ask a simple question before we, uh, before we close and dismiss. Um, if that's you, 
I'm going to ask you to do something bold in a room full of people. I'm going to ask you just to, just to acknowledge, like, yeah, that's me. I need, to, I need to say yes to this. I need to trust Christ or I need to come home to Christ. If that's you, would you just do something for me right where you're at? Would you just stretch your hand up and just kind of wave at me right where you're at? I won't bring you up front, but I do want to know who I'm praying for this morning. How many would say, that's me? Would you just give me a wave real quick? Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Thank you. I see that hand. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How many more would say that's me? I'll just wait just a, just a moment longer. Yeah, thank you. Praise God. Okay, you can put your hands down. Saw a few hands. That's awesome. I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. And this is a holy moment, amen? This is a holy moment. I want to pray a prayer this morning. And those of you, um, I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat this prayer after me. But those of you who are dedicating your life to Christ, trusting him for the first time, or you're coming back to him, um, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer, but, but mean it with all of your heart. And it's not in the eloquence of the words I'm about to say, but it is God sees the genuineness and the cry of your heart. So everyone repeat this prayer after me. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for coming to this world. Thank you for living the perfect life. Thank you for going to the cross and dying for me. Thank you for taking the penalty of my sin upon you. Today, I place my faith and trust in you. Jesus Christ, I give you my life. I give you my past. I give you my present. And I give you my future. Be my Lord. Be my God. From this day forward. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Come on, put your hands together. Jesus, our Savior, he is salvation. I'm going to have the ministry team come forward and uh, just fill the front here. Um, if you need prayer for anything this morning, going through anything in your life, we'd love to agree with you. We've got loaded prayer warriors who want to stand with you. Those of you who made that uh, decision to, to rededicate or to come to the Lord for the first time, I, I would just encourage you to um, connect with one of these ministry team members and just let them know that you made that decision because we want to you know, just encourage you a little more and pray for you. And um, man, God sees you. He sees your heart. He loves you. He's got an amazing life for you. Salvation begins today. Eternal life begins today. Amen? All right. We love you guys. Have a great week.